You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Good evening, church. How's everybody doing? I love seeing all of our junior high in here worshiping. That's something about that just gets me seeing all of our kids in there worshiping. So, uh, happy Father's Day. Can we just give all of our fathers a round of applause? So glad you came on Father's Day. I just feel like I should go ahead and let all the dads know we upped the game a little bit. I I think it's been, I don't know, five, six, maybe even seven years that we've been giving away jerky every Father's Day. You could have got ostrich, you could have got kangaroo jerky, all kinds of jerky. But we took it to the next level this year. You're getting some Midland Meat Company steak seasoning as your gift. Come on, somebody. That's how you know you don't go to a vegetarian church. There's a scripture, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. I'm just saying, just going to put it out there. (laughs) I see some people looking at me like, stop, just stop. No, seriously, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to Renew Life Church. If you don't know, my name's Braden. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Cody Sykes, who you just saw, he's the campus pastor here. My wife and I, in the last year, moved to Lubbock to plant our second campus. And God's just doing some incredible things there as well. But uh, obviously, this is still uh, this is still part of what we're doing. We're so honored to get to come back. It's just interesting to see what it's like when you do a service in the morning, then come here, and you start to see God just do something that's bigger than just even a city. Uh, I love what it does in me. I love what it does in our team. And it's just interesting to see what God's doing. I love coming back, though. It feels like a homecoming. I'm not here as often as I, I once was, so I always genuinely do des- I love getting to be here and hang out, so uh, honored to be here today. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Revelations chapter 8. Uh, we're going to jump right in. I'm usually, I usually never have like some really cool title to my message, and so I don't ever really tell the title to the message, but I've got a title today, it's a little something special for the dads, and I am so proud of it. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is Not Today, Satan, Not Today. Huh? Huh? provocative. All right. And we're in Revelations. You never know what kind of monsters or dragons or whatever we're going to be talking about in Revelation. So um, let's start right here in Revelations chapter 8 verse 1. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he would offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. Verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Can, we, can you just be honest in church today and say, are you one of those people that's kind of just avoided revelations? You're just like, you know, I'm sure somebody understands that. It's just not going to be me. I'm going to stick around Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anybody else? Come on, somebody. 
It's just so many things, so many lists of numbers, and there's beasts with human heads, and this one looks like a calf, and they got six wings and seven eyes, and it it can just be very complicated. But uh, it's interesting, for the last several times that I've preached, the Lord's really shown me some things in in Revelations, and so uh, I'd like to dabble in that just a little bit uh, today. The book of Revelations, just so you know, it's a prophetic dream uh, that was was God-breathed, given to the, uh, the, well, the disciple John. It's not the apostle John. Most scholars believe it wasn't the apostle John, but they actually call him John, John of Patmos. And so he writes what God is showing him. And it's a very intriguing book if you've never read it. There's all this, uh, all this numerology in there that's very intriguing. All these lists of sevens. There were seven angels and there were seven trumpets. There were seven seals and seven churches, seven letters, seven lampstands, and all this interesting stuff. Uh, what's interesting about the number seven is usually when you're talking about the number seven, there can be a, a time period involved, just like there's seven days of the week, a lot of these, these, these lists of seven, they're helping us understand and outline even uh, what the last days are going to look like. And I think anytime, uh, I think the, even talking about the last days is actually the mercy of God. It's like for that, for that one little Hanya kid that just cannot give their life to the Lord, it's like, hey, this is the last chance you're going to get. Oh, well, I want in then. I think that's almost like the mercy of God in some ways. Uh, but he, the, the book of Revelations, it really is. It's about the end times. And he's, he's, he's telling us in, in these, with these angels and these trumpets, uh, he's fixing to give us some, some detail to some time periods. And I don't want to read one through six, but I do want to read this list or, or, or what it says about this seventh angel. <clears throat> excuse me, in the seventh trumpet, in Revelations chapter 11, starting in verse 15. It says, when the seventh angel sounded, and then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Some of my favorite um, teaching on this particular scripture comes from something that some people know about. Uh, you may have never heard about this. I know it as the Seven Mountain Mandate. If you've heard about the Seven Mountain Mandate, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I learned, I'd heard about this before, but I actually learned about this, this idea of a Seven Mountain Mandate from a book called Invading Babylon, written by Lance Wallnau and Bill Johnson. If you're just really intrigued, uh, really um, interested in your assignment from God, but it, you, you, you think your assignment from God is outside the local church, which most of your assignments are outside the local church. You're not called to a local church ministry to be a pastor or something like that. Uh, it's very intriguing to, to read this book. And so that's where I learned, I learned a lot about this, this concept of the seven mountains from uh, invading Babylon. But the origination of this seven mountain mandate actually came from a guy by by the name of Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of YWAM, or Youth with a Mission. And I wanna read just a bit of an excerpt from his book, uh, Lauren Cunningham's book called Making Jesus Lord. Uh, And it'll give you a little bit of an idea of what this seven mountain mandate is. He said, sometimes God does something dramatic to get our attention. That's what happened to me in 1975. My family and I were enjoying the peace and quiet of a borrowed cabin in the Colorado Rockies. I was stretched out on a lounge chair in the midday warmth, praying and thinking. I was considering how we Christians, not just the mission I was a part of, but all of us could turn the world around for Jesus. A list came to my mind, categories of society which I believe we should focus on in order to turn the nations around to God. I wrote them down and stuck that paper in my pocket. The very next day, I met a dear brother, the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Bill Bright. He shared with me something God had given him, several areas to concentrate on to turn the nations back to God. 
They were the exact same areas with different wording here and there that were written on the page that was in my pocket. I took it out and I showed it to Bill and we both shook our heads in amazement. Here's a list refined and clarified a bit over the years that God gave me that sunny day in Colorado. Now, mind you, this is a list of seven mountains. Uh, other people, even when you read Bill Bright's original thing, it was seven spheres of influence. And here, here, this is the list of seven. Number one, the home. Number two, the church. Number three, schools and education. Number four, government and politics. Number five, the media. How many of you guys know the Lord needs to show up there any day now? We're, I'm going to get with him just any day now. Just come on, Lord. Um, some people didn't like that. Number six, arts, entertainment, and sports. Number seven, commerce, science, and technology. These seven spheres of influence will help us shape societies for Jesus. Uh, this was a very, when I read this for the first time, this was very impactful to me. And I'll just be honest with you, when you take this, this concept of the seven mountains, revelations, uh, there on the, when it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, you take this seven mountain mandate, now marry that to Matthew chapter six, the Lord's prayer, where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, but in teaching the disciples how to pray, he's also teaching us how to live. He teaches them to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This erases what some of us were taught as, as kids in, 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 in church in, un, under this religious guise uh, of, of Christianity of saying, hey, life on earth is just hanging on until you get to heaven. Pretty sucky down here, pretty amazing up there. Just hold on and hope that you make it. No, that's actually not what Jesus told his disciples to pray. He didn't say pray you have the strength to make it to heaven. He says pray that heaven shows up into your world. Now that is a fascinating a fascinating thought. But just take that prayer that he, said, that he prayed and then go back to that seventh trumpet blowing that, I'm sorry, that seventh angel blowing that seventh trumpet. And what he says is in the last days, one of the last things you'll hear when that trumpet sounds, the kingdoms of this world will have already become the kingdoms of our God. Here's what that means. That means at some point in history, Christians are going to take seriously the mandate of calling heaven to earth. They're going to get so serious. We're going to get so serious about this assignment of bringing heaven to earth that the kingdoms of this earth will have become the kingdoms of our God. I don't know what that looks like. This, even the thought of that almost, like, what, does, what would that look like? Would that mean it has to be a Christian in charge of everything or maybe a Christian influencing every sphere of society for the sake of the kingdom? I, I don't know specifically what that looks like. Again, I'm just reading scripture and putting these things together. In fact, I'll just say this. That's actually where the vision statement for Renew Life Church comes from. The, the vision statement for RLC is we exist to see heaven come to earth in every area of life. That's, that's the church I see. That's the church I want to see. A church that's seeing heaven come to earth in every area of life. But if our assignment is to bring heaven to earth as believers, we're going to have to have an accurate awareness of heavenly realities. If I'm going to bring heaven to earth, I have to know what heaven's like. If I'm going to bring his, if I'm going to advance his kingdom, I have to know what the king wants. I have to know how the king thinks. I have to know the heart of the king. I have to know the mind of the king. I have to know the ways of the king. Moses said, Lord, show me your ways that I may know you. We're going to have to get really, really good at knowing the will of God, knowing the heart of God, knowing the word of God. Last week, I think, did Keith preach here last week? I thought he did. Uh, his message on ready faith, where he's literally talking on ready faith, where uh, 
sometimes you find yourself in a situation and you're like, I don't know, does the word say I can believe for healing? Can I, can I believe God for him to change something in my finances? You've kind of got to be loaded for bear, so to speak, before you find yourself in the problem. You've kind of got to know what the word says about a problem so that when it shows up in front of you, you have faith in the word and what the word says about that particular issue, whatever the word says about that particular situation. Same concept here. When I encounter the world, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are ways of the world that are completely, in fact, every way of the world is contrary from the ways of the kingdom. One of the biggest problems is we actually just don't know Wait, is, 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 that, is that just normal? Am I supposed to put up with this? Is this, you know, is, am I not supposed to believe God for increasing my finances because the Lord wants to use me, wants to make me poor so I'll be humble? Anybody ever wrestled through things like that where you're like, I actually don't know if I'm 100% sure what is the situation here. We have to get the heart of God. How do you get the heart of God? You have to spend time in the presence of God. You have to spend time in the word of God. And you have to spend time with the family of God. This concept of the presence of God, is, it's an intriguing thing. I didn't grow up talking a lot about that. I was kind of a word guy. I grew up, it's about the word, get in the word, find out what the word says. And I, I, I still to this day, there's a, there's a particular pastor in, in uh, uh, Branson, Missouri, that is kind of one of my go-tos, Keith Moore. I don't know if any of you guys know who Keith Moore is, but anytime I have any questions, I can go to Keith Moore's website. He basically has a message on everything you can possibly imagine. So a lot of times when I'm studying, I, I'll go back because he's just such a phenomenal word teacher. He was a Bible teacher at a major college uh, here in the country, Rama Bible Institute. He was a teacher there for, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. So this guy knows his word, and I love the concepts. I love the idea that I can get in the word and find the things that I need. I can see God in the word. But I, this concept of the presence of God is something that's it's, it's been new to me. It, it's been a part of my life, I would say, for about the last decade, 10 years. But I am increasingly amazed of how much I get from being in the presence of God. The Bible, you, you, this week we go, we go have, or we have worship before we start every service. Did you know the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise, he shows up. He's like, I think I'm gonna hang out here for a little while. And we're not just doing it to just kind of get you loosened up so you're ready to hear the word. That's what I always was told. No, it, worship is a time just to get the hearts ready. Just get the hearts ready so that they can receive the word. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't disagree with that. I just think it's an incomplete truth instead of a total truth. It's, it's partially true. It, it does prepare the heart. But I've also come to learn that in his presence, things begin to happen to me. The Bible says there's the, in his presence are, is, is refreshing. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. He inhabits the praises of his people. So we start off every service with worship. You, you're gonna have to learn because of what happens and the things that are being worked out on the inside of you. That it's not like a one plus one equals two kind of a thing. Just being in the presence of God, he's working things out in your soul that don't make sense to the mind. He's doing things on the inside of you. We gotta get, we gotta get really comfortable getting in the presence of God. And for a lot of people, it's just not that comfortable. It's just not that easy. I, was, I told this story this morning. I, uh, I, I used to have a children's pastor that uh, this particular person just dealt with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear of man, embarrassment, some things like that. And, uh, and I, I was talking to her one day and I said, all right, you're not going to come to the front desk today. You're going to go and I almost said boom box. Like, take your boom box. What is a boom box? Am I 100? You're going to take something that plays sound. Uh, take this, take this, uh, take an iPod or something, and I want you to go back to your children's classroom, and I want you to worship 
like those kids that you teach worship. Y'all ever seen some of our kids worship? You know, it's, a lot can be learned. The Bible says you can't come to the Lord unless you come like a little child. What if that, what if that also includes our worship? I love that they don't care who's in the room. They really don't. They don't care who's in the room. And I told her, I said, um, I want you to go back there and I want you to shut the door and I want you to worship like those kids that you teach. I want you to worship like they worship. And I want you to worship. I want you to do jumping jacks. I want you to do the little spinny around. All the things that I want you to worship as if nobody else is in the room until you are absolutely, totally embarrassed at what's going on. And then I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself once you get to that point, why am I embarrassed when it's only me and him in the room? We got to work through some of that stuff where we feel totally comfortable being in the presence of our Father. Where we're totally aware of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God that washed away all guilt, shame, and condemnation. Where we can come before the Father fully aware of the fact that He sees nothing wrong with us because of what His Son Jesus did. That is one of the most, if if not the, it's one of the most significant things about what happened on the cross. It made us worthy to be in His presence. What is one of the only natural things that happened when Jesus said the words, it is finished. He said the words, it is finished, and the veil was torn, which made access to the holy of holies, into the presence of God. It's one of the only natural things that happened when Jesus said it was finished. Being in his presence. We've got to be in his presence so we can, in his presence, we've got to be in his word. But we also got to be with his people as well. To learn how God thinks, to learn how God what God's like, we actually have to get with his people. Coming to church is not just so you can check a box and say, I did it. Getting, being involved with, and not, I'm not talking about just coming to church. I'm talking about living in the body of Christ, doing life in the body of Christ. I love, I love this. Even this morning, I, something happened. It, it just reminded me of why I love the church the way that I love the church. Because I was sharing, there was a, a guy from the Lubbock campus, and after the service, he was telling me some things that just, man, that just broke his heart. And as he was explaining some things, Uh, to me, I just realized I have never felt the way he's felt about this one particular thing. He said, man, when I see people that have been, when I see people that have been paralyzed, when I see paraplegics, something in me just, this thing in me rises up where I want to carry a healing anointing so strong because there's just something wrong about people that cannot use their physical body to live the lives that they were called to live. And it just dawned on me. I don't know, I actually don't know that I've ever had that level of um, hatred towards that disability. And here's what, I did, here's what it did to me. It made me go, oh, wow, that's a bit of the way God thinks that I need to embrace in my life. And it didn't come from a scripture and it didn't come from a service. It came from the body of Christ. When I do life with the body of Christ and I'm hearing how they think and I'm hearing what they did in their marriage and I'm hearing how, how they handled the situation with their children, what I'm learning is all the different angles of, uh, of God, all the different facets of God, different ways that he thinks. The Bible says we all know in part and we all prophesy in part. But when you put all of the parts together, we are called the body of Christ. You cannot see Jesus until you see the body. Now granted, we all wish that there was a couple parts of the body. It's like, hey, can you just leave just... Just come once a year. Come on Easter. We're fine with that. But the truth of the matter is, is there are so many you. I was telling Ian even about this. There's a guy that comes to our Lubbock campus as well. And I mean, he's the most intriguing guy. He, he's a little, even a little bit, can be a little socially awkward if I'm just being honest with you, but so prophetic. 
And you know when you just know, like, okay, that dude's a little different, but I know he's got something to say, so I'm going to listen. Anybody else got people like that in your life? Well, you need people like that in your life. It's pretty much every prophet, by the way. They're always just like, I don't really know about you. Um, but he, he just came up to me, and, and I'm like trying to get coffee, and I'm talking to someone else, and it's like, hey, pastor, so here's what the Lord said. And he just comes at me, and he's like, da, 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 da. But I had, such a, I had such an awareness that he carried something that I didn't. As awkward as the introduction was, I turned my attention and my ears and my focus. And Why? Because God's speaking to me. I'm learning about God by listening to that man. Being in the family of God, it's shaping us. It's transforming us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What's the goal? We want to know what's his will? What's heaven like? I'm transformed when I'm in his presence. I'm transformed when I'm living out his word. I'm transformed when I'm living in the family of God. And then I start to actually know what the will of God is. I actually know what heaven is so that when, when I'm in a situation and I go, wait a minute, that's the world. That is not a heavenly reality. A light bulb should go off and go, I got a job to do. I have a job to do here. That's not heaven. That's earth. And my assignment as a believer is not to be okay with where earth is as long as it's not directly affecting me. Come on. But when I see earth, I go, no, 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 no. Heaven needs to be there. It's not now. And I'm the one that sees it. So it's not my job to call somebody and say, hey, y'all, somebody needs to go over there and get that earth out. Somebody bring the kingdom of that little piece of earth over there. That's not when you call your pastor or your, or your home church pastor. Somebody say, hey, I, I, I noticed something. Can somebody do something about that? No, no, no. This assignment of bringing heaven to earth is the assignment for every single believer. Every single one of us. We need to be able to recognize. Is that, what, what is that? I wrote it down this way. We need to recognize the ways of the world so that we can respond with the heart of heaven. We have to learn to recognize the ways of the world. So that, we know, so that we can respond, <clears throat> excuse me, with the heart of heaven. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, everybody say practice. Let's go Allen Iverson say, we talking about practice. <laughs> because practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. It's a training that we go through. What's the training for? So that we'll know when that's earth and when it's heaven. So that when we see earth, we'll say, no, 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 that's not supposed to be there. My assignment's to bring earth, bring heaven to that situation. Had a, um, had a situation like that happen this last, uh, this last week where I was going through the drive-thru at Rose's and getting some of those little heavenly number 14 chicken. Can I just get something off my chest right now? How can... One little burrito be $6.49. I, don't, I, I just need to get that off my chest. You can sell me a whole plate of nachos for $4, and I get one little burrito for 6 Anyway. So y'all know what I'm talking about, though, right? And we keep buying them. Like, Who's the idiot here? I'm, uh, so I'm going through the drive-thru, and there's a, little, a, a young man comes and to bring me my stuff, and when he hands me my sack uh, out the window, I could, he was, had a cast on his hand. And just something in me just kind of twinged. I was like, hmm, I'm supposed to do something about this. And I said, hey, uh, what happened to your hand? And he's probably, I don't know, he's probably 16, 17 years old, and I was still scared of talking to adults. And uh, he's, <laughs> sorry. 
That was not the love of Jesus. Um, I said, what happened to your hand? He said, I broke it skateboarding. I said, oh, wow, I hate that. And so he, I, he said over there, and I said, hey, um, can I pray for that? And he goes, what? <laughs> I said, I want to I pray for your hand and ask God to do a miracle and heal your hand. He, and he kind of looks down at his hand, kind of looks at me, he goes, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I was feeling a little froggy, feeling a little Keith Knowles, so I was just going to tell him what to do, you know. Keith loves telling people what to do. <laughs> tell him I said that. I said, stick your hand out the window. And he was like. <laughs> so he sticks his hand out the window and I just reached out. And of course, I'm, I'm, in my mind, I've got a lot of things going on, but I can, I'm, I'm even thinking about the car behind me. They're like watching me like hold this guy. It's, it's, it's quite a little spectacle going on here. And so I just began to pray, and while I was praying for him, even the Lord gave me a couple of prophetic words, and I just began to prophesy over his life and just bring the kingdom into that situation. And I, I got done, and he just goes, thanks. Here's your receipt. <laughs> here's the thing. Because of our, our um, destination thinking, because of destination thinking, where it's always about the destination, it's always about the product, one of the things that will cross your mind if you're not careful in hearing a story like that is like, well, did it work? Did it work? Because in our minds, we think that that's the only thing that matters is did it work? What I'm talking to you about today is this idea that I'm not responsible for it working. I'm responsible for recognizing when that's not heaven on earth, my part's to do my part. His job is to put his super on my natural. Yeah. Here's how I know it worked. Because I'm not concerned about the fruit of the... Now, again, I want him to be healed. I didn't pray for him so it wouldn't get healed. I want it to be healed. But what my job, my assignment is, is to get an accurate awareness of that is not God's will. I have to know for an absolute fact that God came to heal everyone. Because some... Some situations will want to try to prove you otherwise. That's a big thing in people's mind. Will God heal everyone? All I know is what my scripture teaches. The scripture teaches is that Jesus went about doing good and healing all. There's not one time in scripture, whether Jesus went to a person or a person came to him, that he went, actually, I'm just crappy day for you. It's not my will. <laughs> not one. And don't you think if that was how Jesus really was, he would at least give us one time where even some of the naysayers said, no, no, not one time he said it wasn't his will. But instead it says he healed every single person that came to him or he went to them. He went about doing good and healing all. So that lets me know if I ever see a situation where someone's unhealed, that is not heaven on earth. So I already know what to do and how to pray. My job's not, I, I don't want to get mixed up too much in the results. I'm going to let the Lord sift out the results. But I want to be a person that is, a, is a very keenly aware of the realities of heaven. So when the realities of this world show up, I go, uh-uh. In the title of my message, not today, Satan. Not today. Not today. Not on my watch. A couple of weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago, actually, Riley, my middle daughter, came home from school and she was just, I mean, she was upset. She was even emotional. And, and she was telling this story. And she goes, Dad, you're not going to believe this. Actually, I picked her up. She was in my truck. She goes, Dad, you're not going to believe this. She said, um, these kids at school were making fun of one of my friends because she has two moms. 
And I was like, well, t- t- tell me a little bit more about the story. And mind you, we've, we've uh, as far as our kids are concerned, we've, we've got relationships with some, of, some other family who are living gay, lesbian lifestyles. And so we've taught our kids, like, look, I'm not saying that what they're doing is right, but I can tell you what's, wor- what's equally not right is for us to bring our judgment. My job's not to bring any judgment. My job's to bring love. So, in the, in, so when we go to this uh, Thanksgiving, when, especially when the kids were little, we're like, hey, you're going to notice that aunt so-and-so has another aunt with her and there's no uncle. So we just had to, hey, you guys know those are some awkward conversations to have to navigate. But it's the world that we live in. And so uh, she comes home and she's like this, um, the, the, the girls at school, and, they're, and of course, Riley, they're supposed to be Christians. She said they, they were making fun of this little girl and she was, start, she was starting to cry because they were telling her how uh, God's not going to let her mommies go to heaven because, uh, because they, they have two mommies. And I, and I said, well, what did you say? She goes, well, I just told her. I said, come over here and you want to go to my church someday? <laughs> like, it's like a 12-year-old. Like, but what was going on on the inside of her is something in, inside her. The reality of heaven, mind you, a reality greater than the sin that they are living in. Hear my heart. I'm not going to adjust the scripture for culture. I refuse to do that. But I refused to bring judgment to the hurting and the lost. That's the reality of the kingdom. Jesus found himself in multiple situations where people were living in sin and not one time did he say, hey, that's no big deal. Never. He never made their sin small. Somehow he was able to make their sin Stay sin and love them into repentance. We haven't quite figured that one out yet, but we better. Because we don't have a right to lower the level of the word to our experience. You hear me say this all the time. We don't have the right to lower the level of the word to our experience. We have to raise the level of our experience to the word. If Jesus did it, he said greater works than I did, so you do also. I'm not just talking about miracles, signs and wonders, things like that. What if the greater works is we actually learn to love well the people that need it the most? So my daughter, she comes home, and what's she dealing with? The reality of the kingdom in her did not like the situation outside. I, I want to add a, there's got to be a bit of an edge to this. I, I figured this was a perfect kind of way to go about this on Father's Day. There's got to be even a little bit of an edge to this where something on the inside of us just, it almost rises up in like anger. I mean, just a little bit of attitude. Have you ever had something happen and you're just like, or, or, or a situation kind of show up and you're like, mm-mm, not today, Satan, not today. Anybody? You, you know what that thing is? I, I, I thought, as of this morning, early this morning, I thought this story I'm about to tell you would never make it public, but I felt like the Lord told me to tell on myself this morning. My wife and I were on a date, and I'm not going to give a time period it's not that important how long ago this sin was. It, Jesus is alive. And so um, we were on a date, and I, I just wasn't having my best day. I'll just be honest with you. I wasn't having my best day, and we're, we're going on this date, and I'm having a hard time finding a parking spot at this really crowded, in this really crowded uh, restaurant area. And I come around the turn only to find this dually truck parked like catty corner in four parking spots. I'm talking about one of them like statement parking jobs. Like I'm here, I'm going to park wherever I want to park. It was one of them. You know what I'm saying? Like you could almost hear his, like his voice. 
And you could see like the big old dip of snuff in his mouth and all about, I mean, every bit of it. <clears throat> and honestly, I don't know, I, I, honest to God, I've never done this in my life before this, especially as an adult. I just was so mad. I said, did you see that? I saw it. I'm looking for a park spot. He's like a four spot. I said, did you see that? She goes, yeah, I saw it. I was like, I'm going to flatten this tire. <laughs> and she just laughed like, oh, my gosh, let's go. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to flatten this tire. <laughs> so I just, I just pulled around, parked. This, and finally, a, 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 one of a, a parking spot came up. Actually, of all, of all the ones. That's why I thought it was the Lord at first. I, I really did. I was trying to seek the Lord. <laughs> about this at first. And so I just pulled up right next to him and I just, I, uh, and, and as soon as I got out of the truck, Leanne could see that look in my eye. There was no hearing the Holy Spirit, her, nothing. I, I was on a mission. And so she literally is borderline sprinting to the restaurant to try to get out of anything. That, and so I just go, if you're a young person in here, earmuffs, this is a good time for earmuffs. I, I, I just, I don't know if you know you can do this. You can, I just unscrewed the cap off the little tire and I put a little pebble and a little cap and I just slowly began to screw it on to, so that's the sound I was looking for, and I just walked off. <laughs> I feel like you should know at this point in the story, I have repented for 99% of this already. <laughs> I'm holding on to 1% just in case one of y'all ever tries parking like that again. I feel a little... <laughs> no, I really did repent. I was like, we got in there and Leanne's like, you think that was the Lord? I was like, no, I'm, I'm almost certain it wasn't. <laughs> But then there was also a little part of me that was like, I'm actually kind of disappointed because I'm not going to get to see the fruits of my labor. You know, I kind of want. <laughs> so we get done eating. We get done eating and uh, I come out of the restaurant and I look towards where I know my truck, my truck is parked and there's a crowd of about 15 to 20 dudes. And I, I'm just being as honest as I know how to get. I, I just said, oh, I'm getting whooped tonight. I said, you're fixing to get to see me get beat up because that's what I, I can, somebody snitched. Snitches need stitches, first of all. But, <laughs> so I was just fully convinced I'm getting whooped tonight. So, but we start walking and I realize that they still don't know what's going on. And there's 15 people trying to help this guy change his tire that's already sitting on the rim. And I'm telling you, the satisfaction I felt on the inside. <laughs> And I just, I just kind of slowly, I did, I just kind of, I actually got in the truck and rolled the window down. I was like, oh man, I'm sorry you guys got a flat tire. <laughs> Again, I have apologized. I have repented for 99% of that. So is that even repenting, Cody? Is that, if it's 99%, does that count? Again, that's just, it's just a funny, stupid story, but I, I just, I think sometimes, we all know this, there's things that happen, it, it, for you it could be something different, little pet peeves that we have, where it's just like something happens, and something on the inside of you, it's like it turns you into another person. You're just like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like, I, I, I've actually been in parking lots before, where I saw a parent drag a kid out of the car, and slap the kid, hit the kid, abuse the kid. Anybody ever seen anything like that? And you know that thing that goes on on the inside of you where it's just, it's, a, it's like a violent, like, uh-uh. Somebody's doing something about this. I think there's gotta be, 
I think there's gotta, there needs to be a little bit more of an edge sometimes to our hatred for the things of the earth affecting, the, uh, affecting people, affecting broken people. See, the scripture's full of, of men who at some point found themselves in a situation and just went, uh-uh, not, to, not today, Satan. Not, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Had such a real, had such a clarity about the things of heaven that they would encounter something and go, no, I'm doing something about this. The story of Moses, I don't know if you know the story of Moses. Moses had a call to, to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage, but one of his first little trips outside the palace, he finds an Egyptian slave, an Egyptian slave master beating one of his own people and something on the inside of him was like, no, no. <laughs> Not on my watch. Now, mind you, so he ends up killing this Egyptian, and then he's on the run from Pharaoh because uh, he realizes that he's been caught. People know that what he did because he comes back out there the next day, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're the, you're the dude. And so he's on the run. While he's on the run, he ends up finding his wife, Zipporah, and then he ends up serving his father-in-law for a season. It's interesting. There's a lot of depth to that, and I don't, honestly don't have time because I'm almost over, I'm over my time already. It's interesting though, he, the thing he was born to do was in there, it just wasn't very mature yet. But it was in there saying, somebody needs to do something about this. But it took him one, finding his wife, finding a helpmeet, and two, serving someone older and wiser than him. And in that place of serving, God came to him. That was the story of the burning bush. And then Lord, the Lord gave him his assignment and says, hey, now you're different. Not from a place of a call on my life, are you sent into ministry? From the place of serving another man's vision, are you sent into ministry? He was serving his father-in-law and the Lord came to him and said, hey, some of this stuff has worked out in you now. Now this thing that's been burning on the inside of you for a while, now you're ready. It was in there all along, but it, 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 it was like, somebody needs to do something about this. David, the, the story of David, he shows up on the battlefield. And what, what does he say? What? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? Why is nobody doing anything about this? What is he saying? He's like, no. Something, again, where did David come from? From serving in his father's fields. There's a whole message in that, but I don't have time for that one. But you got people like, you got people like Moses who just, ah, I just can't put up with this. People like David, somebody's got to do something about this. Jesus. Our Savior Jesus had just gotten the worst news of his life. The man he called the greatest that have ever, had ever walked the planet, John the Baptist. He gets news from John's disciples that John had been beheaded and he's crushed. He's crushed. And he tells the disciples, get in the boat. I, need, I, need, I just need some alone time. I need some time to process the loss of this man that I have such respect and honor for. And it says when he got to the other side, the crowds found him. The crowds had followed him and he got off the boat and instead of saying, you know what, I'm off, it's my off day. I'm, I, 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 took, I took some PTO here, this, I, I'm dealing with some stuff, I'm hurting, I'm sorry, I don't have time to heal the sick today. I don't have time to do miracles today. I don't have time for the broken today. I'm dealing with something on the inside of me. No, there was so much of heaven in him, regardless of what he was dealing with, he knew, I he, he saw the sick, he saw the broken, he saw the hurting, and he had to do something about it. So he says he healed their sick on his off day. Can I just say this? Advancing the kingdom is going to be inconvenient. You're just gonna have to answer the question in your own life, is advancing the kingdom important enough to me 
to be inconvenienced. So last week we had a, a couple, well, last Saturday we actually had an event in Lubbock for one of our, our for our Lubbock campus and somebody from this church drove to <clears throat> Lubbock to be a part of that and when she pulled into the parking lot, her, her car literally exploded. I mean, it was like, it, it, it was done. And um, we had a gentleman um, come out of the, the church and she was there in her car. They were the last ones basically there in the parking lot. And the, the, here's this girl, single girl, no one, doesn't know anyone, is trying to figure, someone ended up giving her a, back, a ride back to, uh, to, to here to Midland. But that guy said, he saw the situation and I love this because he probably had a lunch to get to. This was his weekend. He probably had things to do. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry, but this, I can't just leave this girl here and not do something about it. So he brought her back inside. He says, hey, I, I, t- t- tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to come and pick your car up with my own trailer. I'll take it somewhere. I'll get it fixed. I'll call you. I'll call you when we get it, get it handled. That was on Saturday. By Sunday, he had already gone, picked up her car, fixed it himself with his own money. Him and his wife drove two vehicles here to Midland that night to make sure she got her car back on Sunday night so she could, she could go to work on Monday morning. It's called having enough of heaven inside of you. It's called having enough of heaven inside of you, enough gratitude for what God's done for you in the first place to see a situation and go, no, somebody shouldn't do something about that. I should do something about that. Sometimes I wonder where all these somebodies that are supposed to do something about that are supposed to come from. No, not somebody. And can I just say this? I think sometimes we're afraid of doing the wrong thing. And so instead of doing the wrong thing, we do nothing. And what I love about Jesus is he's, he's not looking for someone who's perfect, who knows the right thing to do. Take Peter, for example. Peter, he always did the wrong thing. Every time, Jesus is coming to get arrested. Peter's like, oh, I know why he told us to get these swords. <laughs> Jesus, Peter, why? Like, you know. Not long after that, Jesus, there's that whole, the whole death, the burial, the resurrection, there's all, these, there's all this stuff going on. Well, while Jesus has, is, is basically revisiting the earth as the resurrected Jesus, Peter's just... He's hearing reports of things going on. There's all this, there's all this stuff going on. And G- Peter just freaks out. He's like, I'm going fishing. What? In the middle of all this, you're going fishing? It's like, Peter was just always the guy. He might have not known what to do, but he's going to do something. Anybody else know somebody like that? It's like, you say the wrong thing, but you're always saying something. You're, you do the wrong thing, but you're always doing something. And here's what's interesting about that. Jesus sees that guy who didn't always do the right thing, but always was willing to do something. And he goes, I'm going to build my church on that. I'm going to build my church on that. I have a passion to be a part of a church that may do the wrong thing sometimes, but it's never guilty of doing nothing. We've got to do something. The assignment of every believer is do something. Get in the presence of God. Get in the Word of God. Get in the family of God so you start, so you are transformed into the way He thinks, the way He feels, the way He sees things, so that when you encounter the world, you go, that is not what this, that is not, that, not today, Satan. Not on my watch. And you don't look for someone to do something. You become the someone that does something. And you give God something natural to put his super on and live the supernatural life of a believer. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, 
find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com. 